Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by CypherTrace, a MasterCard company. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to The Hash. It's Coindesk TV on a Monday. I'm here. I'm Zach Seward. I'm with Wendy O, Will Foxley, and Jen Sanasi. The Hash, it's about the crypto news cycle and all the crazy stuff going on therein. Kind of got an odd one to start the day off with Wendy O. What's going on with Tornado Cash? This one's kind of crazy. So apparently yesterday there was an attacker that took over Tornado Cash Dow with vote fraud. The token apparently dumped 40%, but the attacker offered to undo the attack, which is all very interesting considering what's happened with Tornado Cash. So the latest update, the attacker submitted a proposal that would undo the changes to the Dow. If the proposal passes, the malicious code that the attacker integrated into the protocol will be removed and the governance of Tornado Cash's DAO will go back to token holders. Voting closes May 26th and apparently Torn was up 10% on this news. It was really bizarre that this happened on a Sunday, but I feel like a lot of the crypto news is starting to come out on Sundays from what we've seen this last year. Will, you're a little bit more technical than I am. Do you want to talk about this a bit? I mean, it kind of seems like I should put my tinfoil crown on. I don't know, though. (laughs) Anything with tornado cash, you definitely should. Uh, Yeah, This is an interesting problem for tornado cash, sort of going back two or three years to their torn token, which they launched to kind of be like all the other products out there to have a DAO, to be a DeFi protocol that has some sort of governance scheme. It was a very hot topic. Also give some liquidity for early people who uh, invested in Tornado Cash protocol and wanted to get some money for what they built. Unfortunately, for a product like Tornado Cash, a token really didn't make sense because of the privacy implications. And now we're seeing even further issues where it seems the governance wasn't set up correctly. There were some bugs involved with it. And someone was able to exploit the underlying code to mint themselves a bunch of new tokens and then take over the entire governance scheme. They essentially minted themselves so many tokens that the only vote that mattered was their votes. Now we're seeing something that I don't think many people thought would occur, and that is that the person now in control governance might undo everything they did and just sort of show that this was a white hack or maybe a gray hack. The torn token has been down on the news, but it has been back up since by about 10% since the the news about the uh, possible reconfiguration and governance has been going through. 
The one thing that I thought might occur here is that this attacker might burn Tornado Cash tokens, might burn all of it and sort of like push through an upgrade to get rid of the Torn token and return Tornado Cash back to its original model, which was just a decentralized app on Ethereum that could not be upgraded. The Torn token allows you to upgrade it. And I was hoping that might be an outcome here, but we got sort of a weirder outcome where we might go back to the way things were just with a notice that, hey, the underlying contracts can be uh, actioned against. Zach, up to you. Yeah, some people in the forums are calling this a possible quote-unquote gigatroll, which I love that as a word. We really don't know <laughs> what is animating these decisions from this person or persons who are doing this attack, right? And now you have a community that's very, I guess, passionate about privacy, having to figure out if they're going to trust what this person is saying. So yeah, Tornado Cash, I think this token really has come back to bite them, right? It featured prominently in the case against the Tornado Cash developer as sort of evidence of this being maybe a little bit less pure than some of the privacy advocates behind this protocol have long promulgated. So uh, the fact that this is happening to this project against the backdrop of all these OFAC sanctions and you know one of, the, uh, one of the developers being in trouble with the law is a bit fascinating and it's not a great look, I think, for A, DAO governance and B, Tornado Cash itself. So the fact that this is going on and mar- markets are moving based on some of these proclamations is a bit silly. But in the background against all that's going on in this debate over privacy on a blockchain, certainly one to note. But I'll toss it to Jen. Yeah, I agree with everything all of you have said already. I think for me, the story just highlights how many issues there are with DAO governance. And so often we say, you know, the one thing that DAOs have figured out is treasury management. But the one thing that we keep talking about is DAO treasuries that continuously get drained by different hacks and attacks. And I know this one is a little bit different than like a smart contract exploit or some of the ones we've spoken about in the past, but it just shows how many ways there are for attackers to get at the funds that are really at the like heart and lifeblood of a DAO. And I guess it just shows like how many things we have to work on. It, <laughs> I think about all the people who are trying to build DAOs, who are trying to like move away from the traditional business structure and I see like all these barriers and challenges in their way. And so I just, you know, like power to the people who who stick it out and who are building through this and trying to look for for solutions. Wendy? So one of the things that I do want to say is if we take a look at traditional voting, we've always had problems with that, whether it's a paper ballot, whether it's like uh, putting in, you know, tickets in a little hat and picking something out, there's always been problems with voting no matter what. So I feel like DAOs are very interesting. But at the same time, a lot of these DAOs, well, all of these DAOs are still in beta. And I feel like in crypto, we get so excited and we don't take a step back and think about how the world actually works and give developers a little bit of a break. These guys, these men and women are working very, very hard to create really great solutions to real world problems. And again, you guys, we're still in beta with all of these things. So unfortunately, we're going to go through the growing pains of seeing exploits and terrible things happen. It's not a fun thing. I'm not encouraging it, but it's also kind of being part of like an entrepreneur and understanding that stuff does happen and nobody's perfect and we're not quite there yet. Let's face it, even though Bitcoin is you know one of the older crypto assets, we're still technically in beta with that too, because we don't know how Bitcoin's going to respond with the inflation and recession and all those things happening. Just my two sats. Pretty good stats there, though. Okay, I'll take the next story. We're going to move over to the European Union, talk about Meta and Facebook. Meta has been fined a record $1.3 billion. That's billion with a B for privacy <laughs> concerns over its transfer of data from Europe over to Washington and San Francisco. This has been a long-going conversation uh, with Facebook you know, ever since the early days of Facebook about how they've been using uh, 
private information from the platform and its users in order to fund its own business. A lot of people in Europe, especially European Union, does not like this. They have fined many companies in its history for violating its privacy laws, while the United States, we do not really have a privacy law, so this is sort of a business model. We kind of have a clashing of the two worlds here. I'm going to throw this one over to Jen, get your take on it. So this goes back to this overturning of this plan in 2020. I think it was called Privacy Shield. The, a court in Europe overruled this deal. And at the crux of the conflict, this is going to sound very familiar. We're two very different legal regimes, right? So Will, you alluded to it. The U.S. has surveillance law in, the, in Europe. They're really focused on data protection and privacy. And there, we still can't kind of come to an agreement. And what's sad here is, yes, Facebook is being fined $1.3 billion. I think this is being done to kind of make a statement, make the U.S. look at what's going on and push this deal forward in a way that is more palatable uh, to Europe. I think, I think though, like it's not only Facebook that transfers data across the Atlantic, right? There are thousands and thousands of companies that do this exact same thing. And I wonder how that will impact them. When I was reading the story, I was thinking back to the TikTok hearing when um, everyone in the house was saying, you know, what's going to happen to American data? American data is going to China. And the solution proposed by the TikTok CEO was we can build a data center right here in the US and we'll keep American data here. Uh, I think about companies having to do that in Europe and it just sounds so expensive and puts the burden on the company. And I don't know if that's that's the right way to go. But Wendy, what do you think? I just think that it's really funny that everybody, you know, sitting there trashing TikTok. Again, I use TikTok. Um, I do use a burner phone for that because I've got a little bit of um, good OPSEC there. Um, but everybody was like basically going hard against TikTok. They were so mad about it, but they failed to realize that their TikTok ban was actually the restrict act um, that kind of really destroyed privacy and all kinds of liberty in the United States of America. But again, the company that is supposed to be like the golden child of America got caught doing something terrible like this. This just goes to show that it doesn't matter what social media company it is, doesn't matter what online application you're using, they are taking your data. I know most of you that are listening and watching this, um, you'll be just sur surfing the web, search, surfing the web, looking, you know, maybe the difference between health benefits between pork and beef. And then all of a sudden you get some kind of ads that pop up that uh, there's a coupon on sale for be for whatnot. That's a silly example. But again, this is the reality of using a free service. Nothing in this world is free. They're obviously collecting something from you. And this is what it is, your data. That's where kind of the Web3 conversation comes in, right? Like sovereign ways that you can control and own your own data. And just the problem to date has been there's just been a not, not enough critical mass to make that really work at scale, right? The models for this are different than what we have in a world of giant platforms, right? In the world of Facebook and, uh, you know, and, and these giant big tech companies who are in the business of using your data to, to profit, right? And so Web3, I think, has long presented itself as, as an alternative where uh, sovereign ownership of your own data is a reality. Are we there yet? No, not at all. But can we get there potentially at some future state if this whole Web3 thing takes off? Yeah, potentially. And I think there's some interest around that. I think it kind of dovetails nicely into some of the more uh, strategic embrace that European regulators have had toward Web3, seeing it as something that might be an alternative to the big tech platforms that they dislike a bit more strongly than those in the US. So anyway, those are the ideas and as this relates to the kind of the crypto conversation. Um, but we're still a long ways off from sort of you being able to own, harness, and potentially monetize your own data. Will, I'll toss it to you. 
Way to land the plane with the web free part there. Matt. Connecting the dots. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Zach, oh, man, it connects good. the dots for us. It's an alley like from like, Wendy. Uh, I couldn't have, couldn't have done it without her. <laughs> yeah, no, just to add on to that a little bit more. I think it's interesting that crypto is in this place where it's presenting itself as a solution to the whole issues with privacy and data sovereignty. But if you look at someone's MetaMask, you just have their address, you can look at all their assets on chain. So there's there's still some like missing parts of this, right? Like we do have public private keys. So I have the ability to own my assets and no one else has the ability to own those assets as long as I protect that key correctly. But there's a lot of transparency in crypto that is not great for privacy, right? I think there's some solutions being worked on. That's kind of sort of the, the ZK narrative right now, the zero knowledge proof narrative. But a lot of VCs, a lot of people in the industry are writing on top of right now. There's a lot of privacy solutions and more points around that. And it's definitely something to watch over the next few years. And for someone who's in the European Union and under the new Mika laws that's rolling out, this might be something to watch as well. Because I think there's going to be like a intersection of these two worlds. Because Zach, I think your point is spot on. There's some things in Web3 that are great for privacy and some things that are just not quite there yet. Wendy, I'll give it to you for last word, though. One thing I do want to say is Web3 is still not real yet. Um, I don't really know too many Web3 applications that we can actively use that a lot of people are on that just kind of there. It's still an idea, in my personal opinion. Um, so Web3 is still like beta, 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 and that's okay. I just think that this entire thing is very interesting. And another fact from the story is that Meta Facebook does want to appeal this fine, which does make sense, and they'll probably end up settling for a lot less. But again, this should have been expected. We, you know, the Zuck is not a good guy in my personal opinion, but that's what my tinfoil tiara is for. Hey man, leave the Zuck out of it. Is identifying and mitigating crypto risk a challenge? Do you need help balancing compliance issues with the need to protect against fraud? CypherTrace, a MasterCard company, can help. They work with banks, governments, regulators, exchanges, and other crypto entities to identify risk, trace the movement of crypto funds, and help comply with global regulations. Visit CypherTrace.com today for more information. All right, move to earn game step in. Remember them? Well, they're integrating Apple Pay for in-game purchases. The integration is going to allow users to buy NFTs with their credit card. If you've been on step in, you need these like NFT sneakers to play the game. And the company says that they hope that this is going to improve the user experience and bring millions of users to the app. I need to note that a year ago, they had somewhere around 700,000 monthly active users on the app. And now I think they're sitting at around 20,000. So this is one of the things that, that maybe will bring some more users into step in. Zach, I think maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like you tried step in. I think I tried to try step in. I forget actually, well, I should check my phone. I think I tried to try step in, but never really was able to try step in. So yeah, I, I can't comment exactly on on the user experience, but I can comment on, you know, the difficulty of trying to onboard onto some of these Web3 games, right? This was the move to earn, the IRL engage to earn that launched a thousand move to earn slash engage to earn projects, largely because the token really moved quite a bit on the initial interest in this Solana-based app. So the fact that they're still kicking, I kind of pun there because that's a shoe thing. <laughs> Very nice. The fact that they're still kicking it is interesting. And Apple Store uh, has long been hesitant to approve in-app purchases for crypto apps. Mm -hmm. So disregard the messenger in this instance and look to that bigger picture as it relates to Apple. There is something to be said there. Some of these claims of first, I haven't really independently verified them, 
but it does seem to be one of the few where you get a crypto app with uh, you know payment functionality baked into it. And if this is the way to onboard, so be it. I mean, we hear a lot about the Web 2 to Web 3 narrative. Uh, Web 3 seems to need Web 2 right now in terms of getting people into the, into the ecosystem. And this is squarely you know, within that narrative. But I'll, I think I said Jen's hand, so I'll toss it to her. Well, I know at the end of last year, we heard that Apple was going to allow in-app NFT purchases, but they were going to take that 30% cut of all in-app NFT purchases. So I, I don't know if there are any updates there, but to hear that Stefan is you know, integrating Apple Pay for its users, but probably or possibly taking a 30% tax on the other end is interesting for their business. I know some other games, even though they're not, they haven't come out and outright said it, have set up their user experience as such that you purchase the NFT outside of Apple and then bring it in to the game. So I just wanted to add that little tidbit there. Wendy, what do you think? So I don't really care for this project too much. The reason why is because I felt like the barrier to entry was absolutely ridiculous. I don't know. And what, what were the price of the sneakers? Was it like 600 bucks? Um, USD or 800 bucks or something kind of crazy to participate. Um, and then obviously we had the token run up like crazy, which generally happens. And then we had a drop because that's what happens in crypto presales. Number goes up, it goes down. And if you actually believe in the project, you consider, take a look at the consolidation period, et cetera. Not financial advice, neither here nor there. But I do think that this is a great concept. I just feel like the way that they set it up, it could have been a little bit too early. They didn't really think it through. They should have hired an economist or something like that to take a look at the tokenomics. But you shouldn't have to pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars to participate in a walk to earn or something that's supposed to bridge the gap between Web 2 and Web 3. It just seems kind of silly because what is your target audience? Just a bunch of rich people. And again, in my personal opinion, crypto assets were created for the people by the people to you know, have access to their money or their assets, whatever that is. So I feel like it was poor execution, but hopefully they can kind of salvage and do a little bit better. And hopefully you don't have to buy sneakers that are hundreds and hundreds of dollars to participate. Virtual sneakers. I think I'm with you on this, Wendy. Like the, the flywheel of this whole product just made me pretty bearish on it at the beginning. It was like, purchase a token to use an app to walk. I don't really need a token to walk in the first place. And then the token goes to a treasury for a team that, again, is just going to keep charging you to walk. So like, it didn't really make a lot of sense to me. Like, Glad they got the Apple Pay integration and maybe Apple's looking at this and seeing like more of a business model. That's why they're allowing them to use their product in the first place. But to me, this did seem like a product that didn't really need to be there. They attached a token to it and let the thing spin off into the ether. And it's still around. People are still shilling it. I don't really get it. That's my only take on it. Zach, I'll put it back to you. Digital shoes, man. You get better rewards if you have more expensive shoes. Yeah, there's a lot. There was a lot involved. I'm pretty sure I never bought shoes. I'm sad. That was the first problem, Zach. You got the app. You didn't get the shoes. That's where the journey ended for you. I couldn't figure it out. That was it. Zach, because you and I are both old, do you remember that YouTube song, Shoes, that... No, I don't remember that one. Who did that one? It was like this... I don't know what the person was. They were just wearing a blonde wig and they're like, shoes. Shoes. But yeah, anyways. Sorry, I'll send it to you later. I'm old. Send it. Yeah, send it to me. We need to... We'll we'll get it on air at some point. All right. That's it for that story. Let's change gears. Let's go to the annals of Bitcoin history. I want to talk about the cultural phenomenon of Bitcoin Pizza Day. Now, Bitcoin Pizza Day is the celebration of what's thought to be the first commercial transaction involving Bitcoin. I believe it was in 2010. It involved 10,000 Bitcoin to buy two pizzas from a local Papa John's. And it has become sort of a foundational myth of what Bitcoin 
is all about. It's sort of the thing where everyone is like, oh my goodness, you spent 10,000 Bitcoin to buy two pizzas. And at one point, those 10,000 Bitcoin would have been worth north of $60 million. So we all think about this poor sap who ended up using his peer-to-peer electronic cash to do what one would do with cash, buy a pizza. And yet we remark it in the history books as something that is a bit crazy in retrospect. I think it really speaks to like what Bitcoin is all about. And I think it's kind of interesting to watch sort of this cultural phenomenon unfold relating to Bitcoin as an asset rather than Bitcoin as a means of payment. So that might have been a little bit pie in the sky, but you know what? Pizza pie, a pun begins. I'm going to toss it straight to Wendy. What do you got? Okay. So in the white paper, digital cash, like Bitcoin is supposed to be a means of payment. Bitcoin can actually be whatever it is you want to be. If you want to use it as a hedge against inflation, great. If you want to use it to you know, pass down to your kids later on, great. If you want to use it to actually buy things, great. My stepson, unfortunately, has many, many pieces of computer parts that are worth a lot of money that no longer work because he was using Bitcoin back in 2011 to buy computer parts off of the dark web. And that was a narrative that was a, that was a big use case back then. But now as, as times have changed, we're starting to use it in a different manner. So was this person wrong for buying pizza with their Bitcoin? No, because who really thought that Bitcoin was going to take off the way it was? Also too, I feel like it kind of relates to what all the drama that we're seeing with Bitcoin ordinals and with BRC20 tokens. Bitcoin can be, it's open source. It can be used however you want to use it. And the cool thing about that is it forces people within the Bitcoin ecosystem to continue to build and to do really cool things to help with the scalability issue and the slowness of the network. So I think that this is a cool historical thing. I don't think that this guy did anything wrong by you spending his Bitcoin because again, digital cash. Zach, digital no one cash. said he did anything wrong. I didn't I'm say he did anything I wrong. Say I mean, <laughs> I to, to, his credit, to his credit, Laszlo is very philosophical and thoughtful on this point. We've spoken to him a number of times over the years. Uh, but it just, it does feel like if this is, if Bitcoin is a religion and this is one of the high holy days of Bitcoin, the message is certainly don't spend Bitcoin, which I think is a perversion of the peer to peer electronic cash stuff, which I think is just kind of crazy. Cause they're like, what else is there? What other, what other holidays are on the Bitcoin calendar besides Bitcoin pizza day? This is a big one. And I think obviously the message is clear to subsequent people. It's like, don't be the fool who spends early. And I think that may be a detriment to the overall health and strength and robustness of the system going forward. But again, I'm just riffing here. Will, what do you think? Yeah, a few thoughts here. One, this is an interesting story because it sort of is a one verified story of someone having a lot of Bitcoin and deciding to sell it, right? If you go to a conference, you go to a Bitcoin meetup, there's always that one guy in the corner who tells you how he lost about 5,000 Bitcoin in some shady accident. They're always false, but you do have this one verified story. So I think it is sort of like a touching stone for the Bitcoin community. The other thing they've got to bring up here is the mining aspect. The reason that this actually occurred was because Lazo was one of the first GPU miners. So during Bitcoin's you know, transcendence into use, it started off with just CPUs like your laptop, then it went to GPUs and then FPGAs, and then finally Bitcoin ASICs, which is like industrialized what we have today. And during that first part with the CPUs to GPUs, a lot of people started mining Bitcoin really, really quickly and started putting the network into this weird imbalance. Satoshi was unhappy with it because these GPU miners were basically able to mine a lot more Bitcoin than everybody else a lot more quickly than he thought. And so there's conversations between Laszlo and Satoshi about this Bitcoin that you mined and said, hey, maybe you should like give away this Bitcoin because you have a lot of it and we're supposed to distribute all this coin to as many people as, as possible, you know, increase the decentralization of Bitcoin early on. And that's sort of how this Bitcoin Pizza Day came about, right? The distribution of the money is a really big part of Bitcoin. 
And that's one part of this whole uh, celebration of Pizza Day. It's not just about like selling Bitcoin. It's also about giving Bitcoin to people. Wendy, throw it up to you. I like the idea of giving Bitcoin to people. That's one of the tactics that I've used when I was boxing a lot more at the nonprofit. I would give Bitcoin to some of the kids and I would tell them to have their parents come in and, you know, have them set up a, you know, like a, an exchange account. And the reason why an exchange account, not a wallet is because we're talking about a demographic of people that don't necessarily understand the tech. So again, Bitcoin is a great, giving people Bitcoin is a great way to get them excited and get them involved. It's actually one of the favorite gifts that I, I like to give and yeah, go Bitcoin. Woo. I had pizza for breakfast today, not because I totally acknowledged that it was Bitcoin pizza day, but just because I was lazy. But what a great coincidence. Well, I was, I, it was just, you know, a classic pepperoni. Mm. Super lame. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was going to bring up the fact that Laszlo had these conversations with Satoshi. I think he's just become this like iconic person that deserves to be celebrated for his early involvement in Bitcoin every day with pizza today. And I, I think like, yeah, sure, Zach, I, it does really bring up this kind of message of like, hold on to your Bitcoin, don't spend it because like, you know, in the long term, it's always going to go up. But I just think it was such an iconic moment to see that like Bitcoin, this thing that was created to spend, this thing that was created to bring people outside of the traditional confines, the traditional monetary system was used I'll be at 10,000 of them that would have a billion dollars at one point to buy these pizzas. And so I just love that we talk about it and get to have these conversations every year on this day. We do. And people from all over the world, from within the Bitcoin community, they gather wherever they are and they celebrate and they look back at how far Bitcoin has come and where it's headed. <laughs> there is something magical about that. All right, that's it for the show today. Tomorrow is Bitcoin Taco Tuesday. Today we have Bitcoin Pizza Day Monday. See if we can buy some stuff. Tacos, perhaps, with Bitcoin. That'd be kind of cool. Anyway, that's it for the show today. I'm Zach Seward. We got Will Foxley. We got Wendio. We got Jensen Assey. There they are. Look at those folks. Good folks. Good folks. That's it for the show today. Check us out on the podcast network. Check out all about Bitcoin over on TV at 3 p.m. Eastern. Good stuff there as well. Will's got to tell me all the good tales from Bitcoin Miami. Didn't get a chance to get down oh. there. Got to hear about it. I'll hit you up. Bye now. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply.